right, folks, welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. In this episode, Daniel and myself chat with our resident Randolph Carter, Mark Kinsey Stevenson, who's returning for the second time, and he's brought along his partner in crime, Charles Klausmeyer, Howard Damon himself. The unnameable films were a huge part of my childhood, you know, responsible for a a lot of nightmares and good times, and you'll hear us chat about life, Lovecraft, dive deep behind the scenes of the unnameable, working with the late David Warner, and more. As always, thank you for listening, and if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Without further ado, here you go. And that was the tale told by Cotton Mather. The clergyman author in his volume on New England legends. My story begins 50 years later, when a local boy stole into the house and to the attic. What he saw reflected in the glass of the attic window, an image retained within it of the unnameable creature who had stared out of it for so many years, turned his hair instantly gray. He ran screaming from the house to be found wandering mindlessly in the nearby forest some days later by a woodcutter. The boy never regained his sanity. When questioned, he fell in the screaming fits rather than even attempt to describe the unmentionable thing he had seen locked in the glass of the attic window. and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> If you don't mind, Mark, you've been here before since this is Chuck's first time. We'll start with him, and then I'll throw this question to you. Take us back in time, Chuck. You're a youngster. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all the above? Oh, troublemaker. In elementary school, I was uh, I was a troubled ute, actually, for the first three grades. If there was a way to flunk out of uh, elementary school, I was going to do it. It took me a long time to learn how to read. I had an uncle who was a Marine, former Marine, and he taught me how to read in my grandmother's basement by smacking me upside the head. <laughs> well, I mean, you learned, didn't you? <laughs> I sure did. It worked. It worked. No, but then uh, I was a little bit of a troublemaker in high school. You know, now I'm just a fun-loving guy. <laughs> what were you into? Like the reading stuff? What did you Fantasy. Really gravitate? No, you know what? I was, I, look, I, I can tell you this, that when I was in, I don't remember what grade it was, but... There was, we had a mall, and I, I grew up in Baltimore, and there was a mall that opened up. Golden Ring Mall was like this brand new mall, and it had a movie theater in it. And Dawn of the Dead came out. <laughs> and I had, <laughs> I had never seen anything like this. I went to see it at a midnight showing. And if you, if you know the film, a lot of it, these people hunker down in a mall. 
right? That's like where they where they gather to and all the zombies are outside. And so this is the first time I'm probably 16, 15. I don't know how old I was, but I was young and I had never seen a horror movie like this before. The gore was just absolutely gratuitous and plentiful. I just remember a, a zombie walking, you know, underneath a helicopter and getting the, his, the, just the top <laughs> yeah. of his head chopped off and blood coming out. And I was like, I just, I couldn't believe it. And the craziest part about it was seeing that with such a young, semi-innocent mind <laughs> and walking out into this closed mall with all the, the, mm. ch- the, uh, nice. you know, the gates closed down and it's after midnight you know it's like it's like two in the morning because it was a midnight showing everything is closed and now we have to walk through the mall to the exit (laughs) and it was the weirdest thing i i just remember that experience kind of scaring the hell out of me and then i was like okay i want to see horror films i want to see horror i saw i saw all the horror films that i could but the older i got the more i was like i don't want to see that i don't even (laughs) like the commercials anymore man i don't It freaks me out. So what got you into acting? Just, I mean, in elementary school, I a teacher said, hey, take this note down to Miss Clark. She's in the auditorium auditioning for the play, for the school play. And I went down there. I'm like, this is like the fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that. And so I take the note down and I walk in and, you know, and they're like, shh. Wait, I'm like, okay. So I just stand there and I got to see a couple of people auditioning. And I thought, oh, they're terrible. <laughs> I just looked at the, I'm, you know, I'm in the fifth grade and I'm like, oh, these people are terrible. I can do better than that. And so I handed Mrs. Clark the note and I said, what are you doing here anyway? She's like, well, we're having auditions for the play. I go, well, can I do that? Because I, I think I could do that really good. And I did. And I, you know, I got the lead in Mr. Grumpy's Toy Shop. Yeah. So I got that going for me. That's what did it. And then from then on, it was just like I did every school play. And then I started doing community theater when I was 11. I just loved it. I just just loved the love being on, on stage. And then as soon as I, I, I always wanted to do TV and film, you know, and so coming out to LA was was great. And this happened the first year I came out. I met Mark, you know, I met Jean-Paul. Jean-Paul <laughs> saw me in a casting workshop, like where you do a scene and a monologue and it's for casting directors. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, hey, you know, I, th- I think you'd be right for this movie that I've written, you know? And I said, oh, well, great, you know, awesome. He goes, can I give you the script? I'm like, yeah, sure. And he gave me the script. And the next time I saw Jean-Paul, you know, I called Jean-Paul up after I said, hey, this is a great script. I, mean, I love the character, you know, Howard. I'm like, oh, this is really fun. I just love it. I wanted to do it. And I said, well, you know, let me, let me know when you have auditions or whatever. And when he had auditions, I went and um, I was reading with people. I didn't even realize. You it. had the job. No, he had already, <laughs> already given me the, the role. And so I was reading and I I read with Mark for the role and it was it was amazing. It was it, but I but it took me a long time. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Um, so Jean-Paul, um, when do I read for this? And he was like, Oh no, man, you you got the role. I'm like, wow, that was the easiest audition process ever. That's awesome. Well, Mark, before we dive too deep into the unnameable, let's start with you. Book reader. Fort Builder, Troublemaker, or all of the above. It's interesting the paths that Chuck and I walk on because I too had challenges reading as a child because my parents were told not to teach me how to read and I begged how to read. And so when I went into elementary school, of course, you know they say, why can't he read? And so that began my book reading, bookworm type of persona when I was a little child. And I loved to read and I you know, just kept, I, I devoured books. And so, yeah, that, that was me as an elementary. Yeah, I got into plenty of trouble as I got older. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I still read books, so there you go. And I still read books. They balance each other out, you know. <laughs> That's right, you know, it does. So I wanted to ask both of you, uh, just go back to Chuck for a second. Do you recall your very first time on stage, whatever you think that is, if that's, you know, your first time on stage in sixth grade or your first time on stage in college? I just recall that it happened, you know, that uh, I did. I did Mr. Grumpy's fifth grade. That was the first time I'd ever done a play, but I, I loved it. I loved the, you know, the applause from the audience. I loved pretending. That's what it just felt like. I mean, I was a kid and this was like a kid thing to do. You know, you're pretending to be someone else. And I just always loved doing that. 
Right. Mark, first time on stage. Actually, it's a hard question because, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to think back, I guess it was high school, but I never really pieced it together that that would lead to anything. In fact, it was almost a shaming mechanism because, uh, oh my gosh, you know, you're doing acting, stage, theater. Oh, I was raised in rural Texas and it was all about football and mm. basketball, all the sports, baseball. And so acting was like, what are you doing? I think though, if I really say, uh, it's interesting to hear Chuck talk about his fifth grade experience because that's almost where I hear the stage bug bit him, you know, the acting bug bit him. I didn't get bit until my sophomore year in college. And in my sophomore year of college, that's when all hell broke loose. (laughs) (laughs) Because, and I, I think I've told you the story before, Justin, but my dad said, well, son, every good lawyer is a great actor. And so you need to take one of them acting classes. <laughs> and, and so I took an acting class and I think he regretted it from that point until the rest of his life. God rest his soul. But because what happened was I took the acting class and then the director of the show, and I didn't know, I wasn't in the theater. I didn't know anybody. And he said, I'd like you to audition. And then he cast me in the lead role. And you can imagine how that went over <laughs> with everybody else. <laughs> when who the hell is this? And why did he get the lead? And then I, I got into the show and it's like magic happened. It was just a magical moment and sort of an epiphany of, wow, this is something I like doing. And it's sort of like, what again, Chuck talked about pretending. I think for me, it was also a way for me to actually deal with emotions and feel. But it was it was different because I wasn't used to getting applause. And so it's something, again, magical when you're on the stage working with other people and you connect. But my dad knew he was in trouble because (laughs) afterwards he saw a standing ovation and for me, and he was like, oh shit. (laughs) It's amazing what that does. Yeah. And then we had a long talk because he was like, all right, well, if you're going to go down this road, then we need to talk about X, Y, Z. And so I was like, all right. So anyway, that tells you a little bit of my background. Well, it sounds like AD is the one who caused it, right? Yeah, he, he is. <laughs> he told you to take the acting class. Yeah, he did. That's so funny. That's so yeah. ironic. Yeah, and Chuck Chuck gets to laugh about my dad, AD, because he met him a few times, and we had a road trip. We I took him to Texas, and <laughs> so. Where did you grow up, Chuck? I didn't ask you that. Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore. He had- mentioned in Baltimore. So you were in Baltimore before, totally before moving to LA. I actually, I lived in Baltimore until I was 20 because I didn't, I didn't necessarily know that I was gonna, you know, do acting or anything in entertainment professionally. I was singing telegrams in Baltimore. I was doing dinner theater, you know, the kind of thing where you come into the theater and you wait tables and you bring people their drinks, you know, and then you say, okay, I got to go put my makeup on and uh, costume and I'll see you at intermission. And then you go and you do the first act of Shenandoah. And then you put your apron on over top of your costume and come out and say, can I get you another gin and tonic for the second act? How are you enjoying the show so far? You know? (laughs) weirdest thing but i i wound up driving a friend of mine to to new york she asked me to drive her to new york because she was going to start school at the american academy of dramatic arts and this was in september of 1980 jesus before you guys were born uh 80 i guess 83 (laughs) i would have been three years old oh well look at you And so I drove my friend to New York and I had this great week. You know, I just hung out in New York for the whole weekend. You know, she had rented a place. We went to see Al Pacino in uh, David Mamet's um, Ruth. Oh, God, I can't remember. I told you I had CRS. (laughs) You got to take your meds. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so, yeah. So there's Al Pacino and, you know, hung out afterwards and gave him a high five as he came out of the stage door. It was like a really, really fun time. And so on Monday, I was planning on going back and she said, you want to come to the orientation with me just to, you know, hang out, see what the school's like. I go, okay. So I go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts orientation and I'm sitting there just disguised as, you know, nobody asked for ID or anything. (laughs) Sitting there like some Momo, you know, looking around going, look at all these 
these people who look, you know, like my age and I, I, why am I not here? I drove home later that day. And as I'm driving down 95, I just decided, I'm like, I'm going to audition. I'm going to get into the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I'm going to go there and I will be there before Liz graduates. And that was September. And by February, I was there. I had done all that. And this is before the internet, guys. So it was like, how do you audition for a college in New York when you don't live in New York? I don't know. I, I figured it out. I found a way. <laughs> I was in that class in February and was and graduated the same time as my friend Liz. Nice. That's impressive. <laughs> and, and Chuck, American Buffalo. Thank you, American <laughs> Buffalo. Yes. I actually did that in community theater. Uh, you know, like Bobby. Was the unnameable both of you guys' first experience on screen? You yeah. go first. Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, it ever was. did a short film or anything before that? Uh, I did, but I, you know, when I think feature, feature film, that, yeah. that would definitely be it. I'm sure I did student films. You know, student films would always be helpful because then you could see how you were you were and how you could tweak certain things. Working with Jean-Paul was a, definitely a learning experience. He was really a good guide in that as well. So yeah, that'd be my, probably I would say that's really my first experience. You know, like I had I had done a student films in New York and, you know, and I, I'd done a little bit of the soap operas in New York before I got to L.A. But as far as films go, yeah, that was that was really it. Feature length. And, and Mark's right. Working with Jean Paul, one of the greatest things about that experience for me, because I think we were, we, you know, we were both in our early 20s or whatever. I don't know how old we were, but but we were in our 20s and he was very, very gracious, gr graceful about everything in terms of we didn't know. So why are they taking the tape measure and putting it and touching my nose? You know, then he would say, well, that's for the focus, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is back in the old days <laughs> when they had film, you know, and then somebody cranked it. Well, they didn't really do that. Anyway, but uh, yeah, but I learned so much and, and we just, it was such a great experience and Jean-Paul was very gracious with that. Never, never a dumb question. And believe me, I asked a lot of dumb questions. And I he did. <laughs> maybe not as many as me, but yeah. But Jean-Paul always, always answered them all. And I learned a lot. I mean, I just, I, le I learned how to make a film making, just being in that film. I learned how to make a film. Yeah, I totally agree that. Jean-Paul gave us a great education on filmmaking and he was collaborative. He wanted Chuck's and my input and he enjoyed our humor. Uh, it was just, it, he was fascinated by our chemistry that we had because Chuck and I didn't know each other at all. Mm -hmm. And when he put the two of us together, it was like kismet and we just were electric and having a lot of fun. But also because of Jean-Paul, I believe Jean-Paul did us a huge favor because Chuck is one of my dearest friends. And it's because of that experience throwing us into the deep end. And we did get thrown into the deep end. But he also brought us together to say, I want to do something else with you. And when we got into the second film, Chuck, I think it was in the second films when he said, you guys should write something together. Right. Well, I was going to say, and then I think from that point, he was like, hey, I've got a couple of scripts I'd like you to see. And could you shape those for me? Because that was the other thing, too, is he wanted us to continue to do a third film, a fourth film, a fifth film a fifth film. In fact, I've got a couple of those scripts at home. Yeah, the the way I remember it, Mark, is that he had written a second installment. It wasn't the unnameable two per se. He took another one of H.P. Lovecraft's stories, and I don't even re recall which one it was, but he put these two characters in that story. So awesome. he wanted to continue the sort of oh, yeah. the Carter Howard. Because he had one, it was called Rats in the Wall. Yes. Oh my God, that's one of my favorite stories yeah. from Lovecraft. He had, right. he had we had that one. I'm but trying to remember the other the one. one. That's that, the, the one. other one was just flat out creepy. That was the one that had the the aliens that were underground, and it was which one? one? Oh man, what the yeah. lurking fear? That one might be it. It, it was, it, but it was just so creepy. And Chuck, you know, you were dealing with farmers, and it was out in the fields, and and it was a lot of fun. Well, Mark, uh, maybe you maybe you'll remember this. Uh, the the way I remember it is that. Jean-Paul had written a script based on this other story with our characters in it, and he gave it to us and said, hey, what do you think? And you and I read it, and we talked, and we both were kind of like, I didn't think it was that good. And, right. you know, we're like, we're kind of we scared to say that to each other. It's like, I don't want to talk us out of a, a another gig. <laughs> And so, and I'm like, well, what are we going to, you know, what should we do? And we talked about it, and, you know, we came to the conclusion that, 
we owed it to John Paul to, t to give him our actual opinion because he had asked for it and that's what we should do. And so we said, hey, you know what? I kind of felt like it wasn't all that great. We were, we were nice about it, but we, and we and we had criticisms that sort of spelled out and we, that we gave him. And he said he took, you know, he listened to it all. Another Again, very collaborative. He listened to it all and said, you know what? Maybe you guys should take. Why don't you guys? You, you seem to know, you know the characters for real, you know the story, so why don't you guys take a shot at it? And that's what we started, that was the first thing we started writing on. Mm -hmm. I don't think it ever went anywhere, but while we were writing that, Mark, is when we had the idea for Uninvited, which became Someone is Watching. Right. Yeah, but it was it was fun just to write with Chuck and uh, collaborate. But yeah, I just, I remember Rats in the Walls was like, I mean, that was just scary. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. That, yeah. I think that was the story that, that we were yeah. doing. But do, do you remember? Is that the way you remember it as yeah, well? Yeah, I remember now because it's, he, we, we had Rats in the Walls as a script, and then but he wanted Unnameable 2 to come out as a right. follow-up and then to do Rats in the Walls. Oh man, that just it. This is depressing. Nothing that didn't happen. It puts a, just talk about because I mean Justin and I were talking about uh, some of these same things that even you're mentioning now. That's what we had mentioned last night. It just oh my god to have that you two could have actually been part of a franchise because your two characters because y'all basically yeah it was unnameable and unnameable too and so that's just like Reanimator and Bride Reanimator in right. that uh, and I please forgive me I forget his name It's Jeffrey Combs but the other guy he. His name was yeah. uh, Dan the in the movie. Yeah, my guy. I know you're talking about the doctor. Yeah, and please forgive me if he's listening to this. I apologize that I can't just quite remember. The I name. think he's deceased. I think you're good. Uh, no, I'm not good. Well, he's friends with with uh, Jeffrey Combs. He could reanimate. He, he will haunt you. <laughs> Their chemistry was so good in the movie, and y'all's was the same. It just sucks, man. Because then we could have had like. The reanimators here, and then the unnameables, and oh, what do you know? The timelines converge, and now we have, you know, all four of y'all in one movie, and then y'all could do like At the Mounds of Madness or something. That would have just been really cool because the chemistry between Carter and Howard is exactly what people are wanting. It, it, even is unnameable. That's not a, no, it's not a full moon movie because Charlie Band would be in this podcast too. <laughs> unnameable feels like a full moon movie. Even if it's not Stuart, Gordon, I guess it's just because of Stuart Gordon and his style of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. But it's just that tag team that Howard and Carter in the Unnameable films. It just feels so unique and just so cool. It sucks that they didn't have any more. I hate it. What was the uh, the house that y'all filmed the Unnameable in? Was that a set, or was did y'all film it like in that house? There was two uh, sets on that one, right, Chuck? Yeah. Well, as I recall, the exterior of the house was like a flat like a, yep. a, a store you know a 10 foot high fake thing that stuck in tapia park we shot in studio unnameable one we there were i think we, there were there were practical places but the house was not real the house was all made up in a studio i remember there was a thing where it was like you know okay you're coming up the stairs it was a, a studio that had there were no stairs in the studio okay there were zero <laughs> stairs so so jean paul goes so just remember that when you come around the corner, you're stepping up. So I just remember like feeling really cool that I made this look like I had, you know, took a step. So I squatted down and said, okay, watch what I do and do this. Cause I was the first one around the corner and everybody did it behind me. And it was, it was like, I was like, yay, I'm a special effects guy. Uh, do you guys recall the first scene that you guys shot together? You know, I, Chuck, if I remember that right, it was the one at the graveyard. I was telling the graveyard story. If I'm was not that mistaken. day one, that's oh, like wow. the beginning of the film. Yeah, I think yeah, that, that was day one. Yeah, I I'm love that scene, man. Me yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. And the fact I, that that's I, the first scene of your first project—that's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when Jean-Paul said, I, 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 I vaguely remember this, but I, I, I'm almost certain it was like Jean-Paul said, and this is going to be your first scene. I was like. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I've got this huge monologue. <laughs> I'm fresh off the boat here doing a film. What are you talking about? And, and, you know, but again, it was just there was something there that just clicked. And, and away we went. I got to tell you, because it was my first feature length film and because I didn't want to screw anything up. And because I came from a theater background, I memorized the whole script. 
Like I like, you know, because I knew we were going to shoot out of order. I knew how movies were made. I just had never I had never done participated. Yeah. 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 I'd never done it. But so I was like, I do not want to find myself going in on a Friday and them saying, oh, it's, you know, scene 17. And I'm like, scene 17. What's There's that? 17 scenes. <laughs> oh, you mean where I've got a, where I talk for two hours? Yeah. No, I can't. <laughs> I wanted to, so I had all, I had all of my lines. I could have, I, I, I had, I put them on a cassette deck, you know, all of my cues and, uh, and I used to play it all the time and just do my, my words just to, just to know the lines. And I, I had everything down cold from day one Man. when I walked on set. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> but Chuck, I don't know. Did John Paul talk to you? Because he did for me. And it was again, this was a great educational experience for me because he talked about beats. And and I remember as we were marking through the script and he said, Mark, you have to remember that wherever you are here in this front part, then there's a different dynamic. And so I would write down and I had an acting coach and I would write down specific words to get me into that place when the other scene. So if we were jump jumping back and forth, I would look at my key words to get me into that emotional place. That's really interesting because Alex, you know, who played um, what was her character's name? Let's Wendy. See. What did I say? Yeah, Wendy. Uh, no, not Wendy. No, no, that was Laura. Tanya. Tanya mm. Heller, the German girl. <laughs> You know, yeah, the girl I got the kiss at the end. Yeah, yeah. I remember Alex was. She said, you know, I remember her telling me that I have a number from one to ten for the emotional intensity of the scene. And I go through the whole script and I mark each scene with the number one through ten. And I'm like, interesting, okay. And but that was her way. It's kind of the same thing that you're talking about, Mark. That yeah. Knowing yeah. that you know this, that my intensity is here from this point because some you know you're shooting stuff out of order. Gosh, I, you remember the night in Tapia Park where it was like I think I spent an hour just climbing out of a hole. Yes. And when I say an hour, I mean several hours. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I didn't, Chuck, I don't know if I've ever told you this. Maybe I have. My agent did not want me to do this film. Did I ever tell you that? Yeah, yeah. No. My agent did not want me to do this film. It was not. So, guys, it was a non union film, this first one. And no. Oh no! He was like, "You no, you can't do this film." He was almost he, he was like verboten, and he didn't want it, and he was so mad at me, and he dropped me. Wow! What, yeah. Wow! The agent dropped you for taking a film mm -hmm. because it was non-union, and he only wanted me to do union films, and he felt like it would not benefit my career. But I was like, "It's a feature." And I'm one of the I'm one of the lead characters. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> so that's the reason why I did it. I prayed about it, and I just was like, this was uh, what I was supposed to do. Screw that agent. Dang. It's one of those when I think there is nobody else that could play that part. There's no, I don't want to see anybody else play that part. <laughs> kind of like you know when you see the casting calls of like Kevin Spacey doing Christopher Walken as a casting call for Han Solo <laughs> in Star Wars. It just it's funny as hell, but the, I can't see it. Nobody else could be Carter. Nobody else could be Howard in those movies. It just so yeah. I'm glad you didn't need the advice. Oh no, no. In fact, I remember that audition. Uh, it was a tough audition, but I I remember. I don't Chuck. I don't know if you remember. You were probably in the room with me because it boiled down to two of us. And John Paul said it's between you and I think his name was Colin. Was it Colin? Yeah, uh, Colin Cox. He he played the yeah. preacher in the first one. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Colin, Colin was a phenomenal actor, just so talented. Yeah. And I just remember Jean-Paul said, Mark, he took me to the side. He says, Mark is between you and this guy. And I'm like, well, he's dust. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the way to get me going is to say it's between you and one other person. And, you know, you're going to have to gird it up and go. And I was just like, no, nah, this is mine, baby. Uh, but I remember, I remember the point when I was in the room where I was just like, you hit a zone, you hit a, you hit a zone. And Jean-Paul asked me, he says, who is one of your favorite authors? And I said, Stephen King. And the minute I said that, and I don't, Chuck, like I said, I don't know if you remember it, but the minute I said Stephen King, immediately it was just like, it was just like things just clicked. Pop, 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 pop. And I, and I walked out of the room going, this is mine. Again, the chemistry that I had with Chuck, special. Colin, I think, is is 
British, like a legit Brit. And I think, too, that that, I mean, which made him sound great and his accent <laughs> perfect for the priest in the or the you know, the the minister in the 1600s or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I do remember, I read with both of you. Yeah, I just felt like we connected real well. And it was obvious to Jean-Paul. How soon after the first one were y'all approached about doing a sequel? Like, I'm curious because, all right, Unnameable came out when I was eight. So I have a completely different perspective on this time. And like, I was spellbound by the box art in the video store because a movie like that, ain't hey, no way in hell my parents are going to let me watch a movie like this. <laughs> Um, this is one of those I'd have to catch late night on Cinemax or something if yeah. I was at the grandparents' house or something. So that's a completely different perspective for me. So I had no clue about what was popular or what was not. Right. All I knew was just that the box art was rad. So like how soon after the first one was made were y'all approached about a sequel? You know, we talked with Jean-Paul all the time. I mean, the three of mm-hmm. us would go down to the King's Head in Santa Monica and shoot darts, drink beer, eat nachos, and, <laughs> and scheme. You know, and we 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 were con- we were talking about the franchise. You know, we hung out together, the three of us, quite a bit, as I recall, Mark. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I mean, it took many years to to get to to us actually making the sequel, but but it was in the works straight away. And there was my uh, recollection on this is that Chuck and I didn't hang out. After the filming of the first one, I think it was probably maybe a year. But then once the year hit, and because Jean-Paul then got everything done, and it was released in, I believe it was 88, so it was a year later, that's when Chuck and I, I, our paths crossed again at that point, and it was like we began our friendship. And I think Jean-Paul, like Chuck said, that's when we started throwing darts and just drinking beer, having uh, eating nachos, and having just a great time. But he wanted us to show up at events, be the faces of uh, what he looked at, what he wanted to be a franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would say you're talking probably about 89. In 89, he started hitting it hard since he just passed recently i wanted to ask both of you about your experiences with david warner on the second movie if you have any memories you'd like to share of him so this was the hard part for chuck and i is the second film so you're now onto the second film Mm -hmm. and i think while i am always appreciative and grateful and everything you know i can just speak uh, speak accolades about the second film the one thing that I felt that was missing for me a lot was my connection with Chuck. If you look at the second film, right, Chuck? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. There were too many scenes where it wasn't you and I. (laughs) Right. And so you didn't you didn't have that that chemistry happening on the the film like the first one. And so it but whenever we could come together, then you immediately say, hey, this just just jumped up again. So I'm the one that got to have the experience with David. And it really was disappointed because Chuck didn't. But then Chuck got to work a lot with Peter Brock and I didn't. So, you know, it was like we were having we were having different experiences on the same film Mm. on that second one. So, but David was, I really liked David a lot. He was, I remember the first first day he showed up and he was supposed to film and we just didn't. (laughs) We didn't. David just, David was basically, yeah, I'm not feeling it today. I'll see you tomorrow. And it was supposed to be a one day shoot. You can imagine how that went over for Sean Paul because he's then scrambling, go, what can we shoot on this day because he's not here because, you know, you can't lose days on filming. Because he's not feeling it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. What do you need to feel, David? Right. But David, I mean, David had already a a record of great film appearances. And I mean, he was (laughs) one of my all-time favorite films, The Omen. But getting to work with him was like being in a master class of acting and i mean he could just turn it on on a dime but the other thing that i remember about david was he was so eccentric he was very specific about his lunch his lunch had to be hot dogs <laughs> and so that was it and that's it was and it, that was part of his uh, prerequisite it was a hot dog i do not know i to this day i don't know how jean paul pulled it off to get david warren peter brock and John Reese Davies. John Reese Davies, yeah. Right. I, I don't know how he pulled it off to be. Indy, to... We must go. <laughs> right. Right. right? Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> so, but I don't know how he pulled it off because, you know, we were talking low budget. Yeah. Low budget. Uh, and this was even with SAG. And he pulled off these three. It was phenomenal. But anyway, working with David, 
great, just a lot of fun. And you can see the chemistry that he had with me on, on that as uh, the chancellor with Carter. And boy, he gave it. You could just see he was intense here. For those on the podcast, I'm going from eyes to lips. And he's just, ra- just laser focused and not really having to do much of anything at all. And that, that really said a lot to me. And it was like, a, like I said, a master class where suddenly I was like, wow, I don't have to move at all and just put the intensity here. And it reads really well on camera. He yeah. is like the Christopher Lee of H.P. Lovecraft movies, though, because he's been in so many of them. Yeah. And- yeah, like it's just that particular way that he enunciates and stuff. He could be reading his grocery list and looking at you, and you'd feel like he's talking down to you, and maybe even going to summon the devil or something like that. Right, he does right. Broccoli, lettuce. That's funny. Perhaps a extract of vanilla. <laughs> I have it right here. Yeah, because like Necronomicon is one of my favorite movies too. Of course, he's in it. And then, and then growing up, I was like, wait a minute, that's that dude from Tron. You know, that's sorry. Mm-hmm. So anytime yeah. I would see him in anything else, like, oh, hell yeah, this movie's got some class now. <laughs> so you guys mentioned, yeah. you know, the first movie, you know, it's non-union. <clears throat> Daniel and I are very young at this time. Was it, is it received well enough to where the second film, now you guys have a little bit more of a budget then? Yeah, we had, we had, gosh, Chuck, what was the budget? That, that, per, that first Dollar budget on the yeah. I love that question. But there was a budget. <laughs> <laughs> what budget? It was not much. From the first to the second, was it a? Could you guys yeah. tell that there was a huge yeah. increase from Definitely. the first to the second? Well, one? just the fact that John Reese Davies. You elevate. Yeah, and even John Paul said, "Y'all are going to have to elevate your game." <laughs> you know, I mean, it's true. I mean, we were just a bunch of youngsters. It was like it was like a college hangout. When we were doing the unnameable, it was just like, boys, y'all gonna have to put on gird up and go because now you're you're playing with the big boys. Yeah, you're talking about how green you were in the first one, how you that was your first scene, and now you show up and JP's just like, oh yeah, here's John Reese Davis, Mark, get to it. By the way, we have a scholarly Welshman here, and he is crazy. He will do your lines right, or he'll kill you. Yeah, yeah, but Chuck and I got the Chuck. Did you enjoy uh, working with John Reese? Yeah, I thought I thought it was great. I mean, I was I was a, I was a big fan because I loved the Indiana Jones stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. By just short digression, I used to work at that movie theater that I saw that I told you about. Eventually, in high school, both Mike and I worked there. Mike Rowe and I worked at that movie theater, and I used to say when I when there were movies that I really liked, "Hey, can I take the poster home after it was done?" Because you know they would mail the posters. I have one of the original Indiana Jones movie posters the ones that are not nice. rolled up but they're squared that's how you know they're like from the 80s <laughs> they're they you they have the they didn't even care enough to roll them up to send them to the theaters they just folded them anyway i have one of those an original an absolute oh original. man and the the thing that i liked about we were very fortunate i i didn't get to really work with peter so you could answer to, to peter rock but the same thing happened with uh jean Rees with chuck and i is that he was so kind and generous and working with us in scenes and he never looked down upon us at all he was collaborative i found him to be fun and it just had a great time on set and he wasn't one that you know you might think some he could have the big head and Mm. be like well i'm up here my boys and y'all are all down below and i'm going to separate myself now and have my dinner and leave (laughs) me alone and never Never felt that separation from him. He was just so genuine and friendly. Just, I, I loved that experience with him. I'll always remember it. I remember the difference between the two movies as an example. Like for the first movie, it was kind of a run and gun sort of thing. We we did do some studio work. We worked at a studio, all the interiors, most of the interiors were in a studio. And then we did some stuff outdoors as well. But it was like, there was, there was one giant trailer that everybody shared. And when we did the second movie virtually the whole movie we shot inside this studio and they built all these sets and it was it was you know we had multiple levels and there were the tunnels and all this stuff was was built there we had our own dressing rooms and stuff it's a very different very different feel than the first film but both very very cool and still the same thing it was it was just great you know because by then we had known jean paul for half a dozen or more years you know and we hung out a bit i remember on the first one Chuck, I remember because we were in that trailer, right? We were all in one trailer. 
Yeah. And mm -hmm. I remember Sean Paul, this is, and guys, you have to understand, we were on a budget, like no kind of budget. <laughs> yeah. And I remember Jean Paul walking into the trailer and I'm looking at my script and he says, Mark, we're about to run out of film. And so I might can give you two shots. Right. One is a safety, but you're yeah. going to have to nail it because you don't have any more film. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, nothing like putting no the pressure, pressure on. <laughs> But I just remember I was like, oh, my gosh, because we were outdoors and not only were taping apart, but it was just like the permit was good for just a certain amount of time. And also he was on a budget and there was only so much film that was in, went in the can. <laughs> After that, it was like I got nothing. For the kids out there in the audience used to when they film movies that what they call filming is because <laughs> they had a finite resource that you used to have to load the, into the camera called film. And when it ran it out, just data. you were yeah. screwed. I have one very kind of kind of interesting anecdotal tale from when, when we filmed at, at Tapia Park, which which is where they did all, where they shot MASH. The whole series MASH was shot out there. And that I just huh. remember being like, wow, this is where Alan Alda was, you know, right. doing MASH. We had, two, we had two nights that we were shooting there and it was basically dusk to dawn. And so this, this one night, it was the night where I was in the hole at the end and these skeleton hands are pulling at me and I'm like going, pull, pull, saying to Alex, you know, pull, pull, get me out of here. And, you know, I was filthy, dirty, blah, blah, blah. I had booked a an industrial film for IBM. Oh my gosh, yes, that's you right. You remember this? I do. And, and uh and, and so i was i was supposed to i was supposed to be somewhere at 9 a.m the next morning right so i've shot all night in this and i just race home i take a shower and it was it was like a it was five pages the script you know and i i auditioned for the thing and you know i was just reading the teleprompter and it was great blah 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 and I go there, and uh, I get to the to the set, and I haven't slept, you know. And I've been I've been up all night, and I sit down, and they go, "Okay, we're so we're getting ready for this. We're we're, we're gonna we're gonna do this." And I and I go, they go, "Okay, well, you know." And then they they said action. I go, wait, 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 "You don't have? There's nothing. There's no teleprompter." And he goes, "Oh no, we don't have a teleprompter." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "What do you mean you don't have a teleprompter? You had a teleprompter at the audition. I did I did." And they said, "Well, no, we we just thought you would." It's five pages. I'm like, yeah, but you had a teleprompter. And so literally, and again, no sleep. And so it was five pages and it was, it was stuff. It was for IBM. It was about computers. I had never even, I didn't even know what a computer was. <laughs> you know, this is 1987. And so I just said, I'm sorry. I, I don't think I can memorize these five pages on zero sleep. In the amount of time it's going to take to film this, and and so the the director was like, okay, what can we do? Can you memorize? I'm gonna I'm gonna just go shot to shot, and so they had like they had a dolly and they 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 panned across for one paragraph. So he's like, memorize the first paragraph. So I memorize the first paragraph, and then I do the first paragraph. Okay, now memorize the second paragraph. We're gonna move the camera over here. Oh and we man! Shot to shot for five pages. It was exhausting, and I drove straight from there to Tapia Park and <laughs> to to spend another night working. And thankfully, they didn't need me right away, so I just went and just slept. I remember that. <sighs> yeah, you were out like a log. He <laughs> <laughs> was out. I think they came to get me, and I and couldn't wake me. But. <laughs> Hilarious. You bring up the Chuck. You bring up that that grave where you came up. I don't remember. Remember, I was in there with you. Oh. I hated. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> it was claustrophobic, man. It was. Yeah. And so when Chuck's going out, I'm down below getting all the dirt. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm getting all the and dirt on me. Who was working the? Uh, wasn't there was another person down there working yes, the mechanical there skeleton? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so we all were crowded in that little grave, that hole in the ground. All three of us. Oh man, it was it was claustrophobic. <laughs> so even the college was a set. No. 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 The college was UCLA, wasn't it? UCLA. Yeah. We okay. Were gotcha. I was like, man, that's a damn UCLA good set. UCLA library. <laughs> Again, it's like. How did he pull it off? Actually, we had we had two. If I'm not mistaken, we yeah we had two UCLA and we were at El Segundo. Uh, El High Segundo School. High School, yeah. 
Right. You know what? When Wendy, that's when Wendy, that's you, me, and Wendy. Remember when she was walking down with the books? Yes. And there, there's a, a a little Easter egg in that scene actually, because basically, I you know I go up and ask Wendy out, and I'm awkward, and she's beautiful, and she's like, get out of my face, you know, and she walks away, and then the cam, the the you know, the, it was a dolly shot, and the camera pulls back, and you can see the dolly tracks. <laughs> huh. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> I hadn't picked that one up yet. I'm gonna have to go back nope, and look at it. It's there. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> oh, dude, that's low awesome. budget shooting. <laughs> it happens. We don't want to keep you gentlemen all evening, so I guess just to put a bow on everything with the last few questions, what's the best acting advice either one of you have received and who gave it to you? I can go first. I was doing I was auditioning for a play called Tomorrow the World. I'm eleven years old. It's in Fells Point, Baltimore, and there is some sort of parade that is happening that's originating near where this theater is. Mm. And my mom, who was taking me down to audition for this thing, says, Hey, the Fonz is over there in a car. He's getting ready to do this parade. And he was. He was sitting in a convertible up on the back of the convertible, Henry Winkler. <laughs> and so my mom says, hey, let's go over and say hi. I go, okay. And so we go over there and I'm like, hello, you know, hey, <laughs> uh, do you guys know who the Fonz is from Happy Days? Oh, yeah. That's what I was okay. thinking. So what, how did he respond? Hey. He was very, very gracious. And uh, my mom said, you know, hey, we're here because my son is auditioning for theater. You know, you have, do you have any advice for him? Henry Winkler, without missing a beat, said, read, read as much as you can, everything, just keep reading. I often thought, did my mom set this up? Did she <laughs> secretly know Henry Winkler and just call him and say, I'm going to bring my son over and I want you to tell him this because that son of a bitch doesn't read no enough. <laughs> <laughs> True story. For me, I absolutely agree with Chuck. It's educate yourself. Take a look, read, scroll the news feeds, dig. Just don't take everything at surface because you want to have a whole, the thing is about being holistic and, and having a whole body of work, but it's it's digging in and learning about life. I, I'm a firm believer. My dad was a great teacher in, in saying that I want you to travel the world and experience other cultures. And I think that helped inform me as a person, but also for my acting. I, I appreciate Chuck. Chuck has always said, Mark, just be yourself, you know, genuine, authentic. And, you know, that helps, helps me as an actor. And, you know, I love Chuck because Chuck can call me out uh, whenever he wants to. <laughs> On but BS. yeah, I, the other thing that I will say, and, and I, uh, this is a, a friend of mine that goes all the way back to college. And so I, I've given you the educational standpoint, but this is the one thing that I, I will end with is that Selmore Haynes was the premier actor during college. And I, I remember this very first play, right? I get cast, I'm the lead. And I'm figuring, you know, the, I mean, this he was hot stuff, this guy. And I figure, you know, he's going to snub me. But he comes backstage to see me and he compliments me on my work. And he just, he was really so gracious and generous and basically just, you know, he, he was just telling me, great job. This is phenomenal. You should be an actor, blah, blah, blah. And I remember I shot him down. I shot him down in my reply and just said, well, you know, I could have done better and it's this. And, you know, I was making excuses of just I could have been so much better than than I was. And I remember distinctly what Selmore said. And I my whole life been the same now. I will never forget this. He looked at me and he said, you just took everything I just said and negated it. You just told me that I don't have good taste, that I don't know what I'm talking about. And he says, Mark, what you need to do is to be able to say thank you, whether you agree with me or not, and just end it there. And I remember going, oh, wow, I just got kicked in the pants. <laughs> oh, I would have said balls. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're probably wearing pants, although yeah. it was in the dressing room. I, you never I, didn't, know, but. I didn't say where in the pants I got kicked. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I just remembered that, and I've held it all my life, and... Selmore didn't hold it against me. It was a learning experience mm -hmm. because I was I was green. I didn't know anything. And I've always remembered that. I thank Selmore for that. And I've held that my entire life is just to say thank you. And you just move on. Well said. I appreciate hearing that you got yeah. had to learn that. My brothers had to. You have to stop and think about it. Somebody somewhere, that might be their favorite thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, you just thank you and appreciate that. But yeah, because somebody somewhere, I mean, 
everybody has a favorite movie. Everybody's got a favorite album or something. I mean, Daniel, you're a perfect example. Unnameable. Chuck and I, that's not the best thing we've ever done. It's not like an A-list Oscar-winning movie. Right, but the <laughs> thing is, is that, well, but Daniel, there's here's the point. It is the favorite film for some somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about Chuck, but I get Facebook requests. I get messages from people that are just out of the blue. And they talk about that experience that they had when they were a child or a teenager or a young adult or getting the first time to see a horror film. And it means something that's extremely powerful for them. Mm-hmm. So why am I going to crap on that experience for them, right? Exactly. That actually is, it's almost one of those things where you say thank, because again, I say thank you. It's like when Justin first approached me, I wasn't like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I was more of a, wow, that means so much to me because it does. It's like, wow, that means so much to you. That means then even much more to me. And I when, appreciate that. When we had talked, when Justin and I had chatted about it, you know, we were like, oh, great. He's probably just, he's going to flip us off. It's, you know, <laughs> off. There, ain't, there ain't no way, no way that these two people would just kind of because they love it. And yet we're sitting there saying, it's like, yeah, but dude, these movies were cool as hell. So we watched when I was a little kid. It's, it's just there's that certain aesthetic that I don't know, maybe I'll be gracious in, say, 15-year time span, but it really, quite honestly, you could compact it down maybe 10-year time span where movies had a certain feel, that video store mm. aesthetic, yeah. the, uh, the wooden shelves, mom-and-pop video store right. with the really rad box art. Stuff. Yeah, Unable's right in that. Yeah, because yeah. that's when we saw it. That's mm-hmm. when I saw it. I remember the box art. I didn't rent it. But then it was just, you know, you'd be at your grandparents' house or at something, and it comes on cable. It's like, oh, my God, I read the guess we're watching this movie. You know, 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm scared the shit out of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love it. <laughs> they just don't I make got, them like they used to. I got a buddy I went to high school with named Russ Roland who was in the Army, and he was stationed in Germany. And he was on a date with a girl. They were at the movie, uh, the, the video store, and... The unnameable was there, and he picked it up, looked at it, huh? And he turned it over, and there's a picture of me on there. He's like, "Oh, I went to high school with this guy." <laughs> he, he married that girl. He's they're still together. True story. All because he saw you. That's on true. That's, well, that's oh, what I like that. to think, Daniel. I mean, <laughs> yeah. in my mind, right? Look at look at what you have done for you. She's like, this guy knows that guy on that box art. I'm in. Yeah. Marry me. You made him so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we look forward to doing this maybe again, and uh, hey, let's throw Jean-Paul into the mix. Oh, yeah, we already got that in the works. Jean-Paul is down. That will be happening down the road, so we'll be back. This is one of those, like, yes, because especially now that y'all spilled the beans about, you know, talking about franchise for that series, and so, oh, yeah, I want to to have all three of y'all and just pick your brains just to hear y'all ramble on about what could have been. It's bittersweet, but I'll at least take that as some consolation and compensation for what was what i feel is owed my childhood (laughs) (laughs) justin and daniel the thing is is that look what's you know what the future may hold who knows right Right. who knows somebody might come up with something for chucking me (laughs) you never know (laughs) stay tuned that's right right, guys thanks so much thank y'all so much man y'all take care okay you guys have a good night we'll be in touch all right folks that's a wrap I hope you enjoyed that chat with Charles and Mark. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net 
or wherever you listen to podcasts.